to prepare our hearts, we begin with the Word of God. And this is the text we'll be reading together this morning, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. We've been preaching an Advent series that began in Genesis chapter 3, where we saw where the root of the problem, our sin problem, and the promise of a Messiah, the uh, seed of the woman who would, was promised to come to crush the skull of the seed of the serpent. And of course, we know that promised Messiah was Christ. And then all throughout the Old Testament, God is reaffirming that promise through his covenants, the Old Testament narratives, the stories are all pictures of Jesus. Everything, every page in the Old Testament, it's about Jesus. Uh, the book of Psalms, it's about Jesus, our hope in Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament prophecies, they're about Jesus. And so we, we began looking in Isaiah chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 9, and this morning, Isaiah chapter 11. I, God is using Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Hope in him. Look to him. He is everything. So let me read the passage we'll be reading from together this morning. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he, his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We just sang, what child is this who laid on to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet? And it is a significant question to ask. I looked it up this week. Statistically, there are nearly 4 million babies born in America every year. That's one about every eight seconds. So in the course of just the last minute or so, there's been, you know, seven babies born. What makes this one, this one, born 2,000 years ago in the Middle East to a nobody, mom and dad, what makes this one so significant? What's the big deal? about the birth of Jesus of Nazareth? Well, Isaiah chapter 11 answers that question for us. Isaiah chapter 11 reminds us why we celebrate Jesus and what it is he came to do that first Christmas more than two millennia ago. And my hope as we contemplate this passage together, just for a few brief moments this morning, is that we will engage it with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, that 
we might re be renewed as we head into Christmas Day with a renewed sense of wonder for Christ, for His birth, for His majesty, for His life, for His death, for His resurrection, and for the great eternal salvation that has come to us through Him. We read the passage at the beginning of our worship service, but I'll draw your attention to verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, where I'll read that text again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Let's pray once more. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And as we come now to the preaching of the word, Father, we pray the presence of your spirit to do what I can't do. Lord, I, I can't impress upon hearts deeply enough with my vocabulary the wonder, the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ, but your spirit can. And so I pray, Father, that today you would open our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, some perhaps for the very first time, to the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ, to all that he is and all that he's done for us in salvation. Father, do this work for your glory, for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would think that probably the most well-known symbol of Christmas is the Christmas tree. Thank you very much. There are cough drops lining your, uh, your, your rows there. If anyone has a need of one or, or uh, uh, Kleenex, they're down there as well. Mr. Freddie provided those for us, so uh, they're there for, for if you need them. The Christmas tree is probably the well, most well-known symbol of Christmas. And you think about it. How wonderful a well-decorated Christmas tree is. You got the lights, you got the ornaments. Some of those ornaments probably are decades old, and they have significance, they have meaning. It's a wondrous spectacle, a well-decorated Christmas tree. Isaiah suggests a different symbol, a different symbol for Christmas in the opening verses of chapter 11. Not a Christmas tree, a stump, a stump. Probably wouldn't look near as nice in our homes. The people at Lowe's or Home Depot at your Christmas tree farm would look at you crazy if you went up and asked, you know, I'm looking for a Christmas tree stump. But nonetheless, Isaiah says there is a powerful image in the stump. But in order for us to understand that, we really need to go back just a little bit to understand contextually what's been going on here. In order to understand this picture of a, a Christmas stump, we need to go back to Isaiah chapter 10, back to really Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 where we've been in recent weeks. In Isaiah chapter 10, it's a section about Assyria. Now we've been talking about Assyria. They're that great, powerful nation that everyone fears. They're steamrolling countries and making them, taking them into bondage. And you have the northern kingdom who is, who is linked up with Syria because they're just trying to protect themselves against Assyria, and you have the southern kingdom. You have uh, King Ahaz, who's actually trying to form a partnership with Assyria. What better way to not be overcome by Assyria than just, hey, we're going to be aligned together. And in Isaiah chapter 10, Assyria is pictured as a great and mighty forest. Trees as far as you can see, high up, unassailable, strong, Massive trees. But here's the picture. Look at Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33. Behold, 
the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. What's the picture here? The idea here, King Ahaz is trying to form a partnership with Assyria. He's putting all his hope, all his trust, that we won't be defeated, we won't be overcome by partnering with Assyria. Now, King Ahaz, we've, we've talked about in previous, is a descendant of King David. He's that line of Jesse. He's that line of David. He's tempted now. In fact, he's gone through partnering with Assyria despite the fact God has warned, don't do that. Don't partner with a pagan nation. My people won't par partner with a nation that's going to turn you away from me. Don't do it. But in King Ahaz's mind, Assyria was the answer to all his military problems. Partnering with them. Assyria was his hope of, his hope. It was where everything was found. Ahaz won't listen to God. So God sends this message through Isaiah in chapter 10 saying, notice, here's what's going to happen to mighty Assyria. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to chop them down. This mighty force that to the human eye looks like, I want to be backed by them. I want to be in partnership with them. Look what the majestic one, the mighty, almighty God will do to Assyria. I'm going to cut them down. There won't be anything left but a bunch of stumps. Don't put your hope in Assyria, Isaiah. But in that great forest where God has cut down the Assyrians, there's one Isaiah tells Ahaz, look into that forest of stumps. Look all the way back in that far corner, that stump that's there. Keep looking, look closely. Get down on your hands and knees and look. What do you see on that one stump right there? What do you see? There's growth. There's a piece of green that's coming out of it. And God is saying to Ahaz, that is your hope. Look what I did to where your hope is, the Assyrians. Look at what's going to happen to them. I'm going to chop them down. You want to find out where your hope is? It's what I've been telling you all along. And here it is pictured in this stump. Get down on your knees. This stump right here, what do you see? There's a little growth there. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot, a little shoot of greenery from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What's with this stump of Jesse? Who was Jesse? The father of David. King David, whom God had made covenant with, that the Messiah was going to come through him. The eternal king would come through the line of David. A son of David would rule and reign on the throne forever. But it sure looked like David's line was fading out. Here you have King Ahaz, who is in the line of David. Here he, he's turning to a pagan nation. The situation seems hopeless. But God is simply saying, I'm still at work. It may look like all is lost. It may look like you've tried to partner with the Assyrians. I promise you, that's going to come to naught. You're going to pay for this. But even in the midst of judgment, keep your eye on that one stump, on that one shoot of greenery, because there your hope is. The image here is very much what we saw last week in Isaiah chapter 9. Do you remember how Isaiah prophesied there would be not 
gloom, but glory. There would be not darkness, but light. There, sorrow would give way to celebration, all because of the, the child, the mighty counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Because of that one, the gloom would give way to glory, darkness to light, sorrow to celebration. Well, it's the same picture here. In the midst of destruction, all those massive trees that you thought were everything, they've been cut down, there's nothing but stumps. But in the destruction, there's a little shoot, a little life, a little greenery that's still there. Out of destruction will come life. Who is that shoot from the root of Jesse? It's Christ, the son of David. Your hope, Ahaz, is not in a foreign nation. It's not in a country. It's not in your military wisdom. It's not in what you know. It's not in what you perceive. Your hope is in Christ. The shoot from the stump of Jesse. And verses 2 through 10 of Isaiah chapter 11 tell us about this king, about this coming king. Again, Isaiah is writing about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. What child is this? Isaiah here in chapter 11 gives us three things to consider. And I'll be very quick with, my, with my, my part here this morning. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus of Nazareth, who is he? He's the Messiah King that we desperately need. He's the Messiah King that we desperately need. And what I mean by that is he is perfectly qualified by the Holy Spirit of God to be the Messiah King that we need. That's what we read here in verse 2. Look with the text with me. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Him who? The shoot. The shoot that's coming from the root of Jesse. It's a person. That's a picture of a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Here, what Isaiah is doing here, he's, he's pointing out that the Holy Spirit is going to, to fill Christ in his humanity with all the necessary characteristics and qualifications that he will be the Messiah King that we desperately need. And the fullness of God's Spirit, Isaiah tells us, will produce at least six particular characteristics that fit him for the office of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah says, is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And if we were to take time, just walk through those slowly. If you are choosing, if you are putting together, like in a video game, right, when you put together your ideal character, if you are putting together the Messiah King that you desperately need, these are the characteristics you would want in your King, in your Messiah, in the one who's going to come and deliver you wisdom and understanding, counsel and might and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. You see, Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God with understanding, which is fantastic for you and I, because ever since the Garden of Eden, man, we are in massive trouble before a holy God. But Christ comes with understanding. He understands the situation. He understands the gravity. He understands the magnitude of sin against a holy God. He understands what it would take to rescue a soul from God's wrath and to, to reconcile him. He understands that. 
Man, we, we want a Messiah who has understanding, who understands the situation, who understands what we need, who understands what has to happen. Isaiah says he has wisdom. Man, thank God for wisdom. The right application of the right thing at the right time. As Christ comes to fulfill God's eternal salvation for his children, Christ is going to meet obstacles and enemies every step of the way, right? He doesn't get far into his public ministry before Satan himself comes and tempts him. But Christ is indwelt with wisdom so that he can meet every challenge and meet every crisis. And everything that Christ does in response is always the perfect response. That's wisdom. And he has power. Oh, thank God for power. It takes nothing short of the same power that it took for God to say, let there be light, and boom, light comes into existence. Omnipotent power. It takes no less degree of power to rescue a soul from darkness. That's how, as, as unbelievably impossible as it would seem for sun, moon, stars, light to come into existence out of nothing, it is equally as impossible for a soul that has sinned against God to be rescued from the wrath that he deserves. It's an impossibility. Except for almighty, unrestrained, no limits, power of God himself. Sometimes we forget just how overwhelming our sin problem is. It's not a problem we can fix. It takes nothing short of God in flesh to come and rescue us. And above all, these characteristics of Christ, he trembles in awe and reverence before the Lord God. This is where King Jesus trumps King Ahaz. King Ahaz has no fear of the Lord. He's not concerned about God's way of doing things. He's not concerned about trusting in God. He's, con he's trusting in his own ways. But Christ comes, and what does he say throughout his public ministry? All that the Father has said, I have done. John 17, the high priestly prayer. All that the Father has given me to do, I've lived it with fear of God, reverence, awe, worship of God in every aspect of my thinking, of my living, of my attitude, of my response, of my actions. He lived in the fear of the Lord. That's who this child is. That's who Christ is. And when we read through the gospel accounts, we see these characteristics on display. At Jesus' baptism, we see the, the picture of, of being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, when the, with the dove who comes from the sky, the Spirit of the Lord, and, and, and this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, and you have the, the dove, the Holy Spirit, who comes and rests upon Christ. Jesus in his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke tells us that Christ grew in wisdom. Well, that's the characteristic Isaiah said. Mark chapter 6 says, many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? That's what Isaiah said that the, the Messiah would have. And then he goes on, how, much, how are such mighty works done by his hand? These are things only God could do. How is Christ able to do them? Because he's God's Messiah, God in the flesh. Do you hear the allusions to Isaiah 11 in the public ministry of Jesus, just in the comments of people? All of these are signifying this, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah King we desperately need. He's endowed with the Holy Spirit and fit with the attributes that are necessary 
to be and to do all that is necessary to rescue a soul like mine from the wrath of God that I deserve and that you deserve. And dwelt with the Spirit. There's no weakness in him, no deficit in him, no area of incompetence in him. There are no inadequacies in Christ. There's no blind spots. There is no situation in your life, not a one, for which Christ is not the sufficient answer. There is nothing you can bring to me or to your parents or to your friends. Man, I've got a problem. I've got something. That the answer should not be Christ. And if that sounds like, no, 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 Jake, you're not listening to me. My problem is this. I, you're giving me that Christian answer. Then you don't know who Christ is. Your view of Christ is so inadequate. And I struggle with that as well. Christ is the Messiah King we need. Secondly, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah King we desperately want. He's the King we need. He's the King we want. And what I mean by that, he rules with compassion and justice. Don't we want a King who's not self-centered? Don't we want a King who doesn't just do things for himself, thinking only of himself, or thinking only of people like him? Don't we want a King who rules with compassion and justice and righteousness? And what Isaiah is telling us here in verses 3 through 5 is, all these characteristics of, of the Messiah that we just talked about, when they are applied, oh, this king rules with justice and with righteousness. He's a ruler. Christ is a king after God's own heart. Remember, let's contrast this Messiah with the context of the book here, King Ahaz. King Ahaz ruled by what he saw. King Ahaz made decisions based on what he heard. King Ahaz made decisions based upon what made sense to him. All right, that's why he was seeking partnership with the Assyrians. What better way to protect your people from the oncoming Assyrians than let's partner up. Let's, 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 what, what do I need to do for you so that we can be kindred and you won't just steamroll over us like you're doing every other nation? And King Ahaz's mind, from his perspective, his thinking, his seeing, his hearing, that made sense to him. But notice the contrast with Christ in verse 3. His delight, who's the his there, right? The, the shoot from the stump, it's Christ. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And you have to stop there and just think, how unlike us this Christ is. How one of a kind he is. Listen, I, I can't throw a, a broad blanket over all of you. I can only speak for myself, and I say it to my shame, but I, no temptation has taken me, but such as is common to man. So I, I'm pretty comfortable saying we tend to judge a book by its cover. That's just how we, we operate. We judge a book by its cover all the time, don't we? And then we're quick to pass judgment or sentence on a person simply by what I see or what I hear. I see something, I perceive something, and obviously I am the highest arbitrating authority in the universe. And so whatever I see, whatever I hear, my perception is the right one. And if you disagree, you're wrong. We form our opinions based upon what we see, based upon what we hear. And who are we? God himself says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't trust it. 
we of all people don't, should, should be those who don't trust what we see and don't trust how we interpret what we hear. Rather, than, rather look to Christ because He's the one who, what do, we, what do we read? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. He looks at what's real, what's there. He looks at what's really in the heart of man, what truly who we are, and nothing escapes his gaze. In other words, how unlike King Ahaz and you and I, this Messiah born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is from us. For King Ahaz, Assyria looks like that's a good decision to make. I bet some of his people were praising King Ahaz. Hey, good job, King Ahaz. You're the king we want. We don't want to be steamrolled by these people. Yes, thank you for doing what you did. But he's judged by eye. He's judged by ear. Christ, on the other hand, Christ doesn't think in those terms. Christ judges with righteousness, with equity, with fairness. King Ahaz is only concerned with what he can see, what he perceives, what he knows. Jesus tells us all throughout the New Testament, he's focused upon the spiritual realities. The spiritual realities of a concern for people. Isaiah puts it elsewhere regarding the work of God in Christ. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering flax he will not extinguish. What's he saying there? He rules with compassion. He's aware of the needy. He's aware of the poor in spirit. Again, spiritual application. Sometimes when you feel like nobody knows what you're going through, you feel alienated, you feel alone. You've in your battle against sin, your battle against the, the flesh, your battle against the world. Sometimes you feel isolated and, and alone. That's not true at all if you're in Christ. God knows. Christ cares. And he's sufficient for our every need. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah we desperately need, and he's the Messiah we want because he knows us in our weakness, he knows us in our struggle, and he judges in righteousness and fairness and equity. But there's one other thing Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah King we desperately await to return. He's the Messiah King. We desperately await to return. And the point here is Christ, whose birth we celebrate in his first coming, has lived, died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we've been in the book of Revelation for most of this year. He's coming again. He's coming again. Isaiah chapter 11 summons us not just to focus our hearts upon the first coming, though that's appropriate. That's what we're doing today but also to look to the final coming of Jesus at the end of the age and to look at that with joy, with anticipation, with hope. What we most need in our day today is not what you know, our government can give us or, or another person can give us. or what, what, we can, what we most need is Christ. What we most want is Christ. Come back. We want you. We need you. You're all to us. It won't be a disappointment when you come. We'll be face to face with you and we long for you. In just a moment, we're going to be singing a song familiar to us all, Joy to the World, written by Isaac Watts. Interesting thing about that song, it was not originally written 
about the birth of Christ. Now, that's how we've come to know it. That's kind of the context where we usually sing it, joy to the world around the birth of Christ. And there are allusions to that in the song, but Watts was actually meditating on Psalm chapter 98 and focusing upon the return of the Lord in his second coming, in this celebration of joy to the world. Joy, yes, in Christ in his first coming, but also in his second coming. And I think it's wonderful that at Christmas time, we should always remember the birth of Christ and remember the majesty and the significance of who he is, but Christmas time gives us a, a unique opportunity to, with renewed eyes, renewed affections, consider who this baby is. Why did he come? A baby born every eight seconds. Why in the world are we making such a big deal about this one born 2,000 years ago in the Middle East to a mom and dad that nobody really cares about? Nobody would know if it wasn't that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of bring her up. Isaiah chapter 11 drives home for us because he's the king. Because he's the king we need. He's the king we want. And because he's coming again. Look at what he tells us in verses 6 through 10. I'm just going to read this passage again just because, and as I'm reading it, hear the allusions to the Garden of Eden. Right? God created all things. God said it was very good. There was harmony. There was peace. There was perfection. And then all that was disrupted in Genesis chapter 3. Now we have the chaos. Now we have the, the, the conflict between uh, husband and wife and animal. Let's listen to the promise that is associated with the return of this Messiah King. Verse 6. When he comes, verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That's unthinkable, isn't it? <laughs> the leopard shall lie down with the goat. Not attack, not eat, not feast, not make Christmas dinner out of the goat but lie down and they're going to cuddle. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. This is my son down here, seven years old. I'm not putting him out there with the leopard. I'm not, I'm not going to have him lead the bears and, and the alligators and all those things. But here's a picture of all the conflict is gone. It's an allusion to what was lost in the Garden of Eden through this Messiah will be restored. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. I wonder, as young parents over here, I saw it, you're going to put your child over a cobra hole? I mean, that's unthinkable, isn't it? Right? What about it? We're not going to do that. But here, a restoration of the harmony and peace. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All that was lost in the garden through the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, are restored. It's all restored by Christ through his obedience, through his birth, his life, his obedience, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and one day his return. What we have pictured here is a creation absent of death. No suffering. No tears. No more sickness. No more illness. 
No more conflict between husbands and wives and families. No more brokenness. Nothing but security and peace. That's what we long for at Christmas, right? We sing about peace on earth. This is what we long for. Keep your eyes on Christ. The day is coming when this creation will reach its consummation. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They'll know Christ. And they'll love Christ. And he will be everything to us. So, what child is this? Why are we celebrating? It's Jesus Christ. All the way back to Genesis 3.15, the promised Messiah, it's Christ. David and Goliath, David is Christ. A picture of Christ. The Psalms, they're all about Christ. The Old Testament prophecies, they're all about Christ. Here in, in Isaiah, the, 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 the baby born to a virgin, it's Christ. The servant of Isaiah in Isaiah 52 and 53, it's Jesus Christ. He is the promised Messiah. And why celebrating? Because he's the Messiah we all need. He has all the characteristics of power and might and wisdom and understanding and the fear of the Lord and counsel that is necessary to redeem us to the Lord. Why celebrate Him? Because He's the Messiah King we want. He rules in righteousness and justice. He's kind and compassionate to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to you and I who recognize our sinfulness. And I can't, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I can't, I continue to fail. Look to Christ. The answer is not try harder. The answer is look to Christ. Your hope is in Him. And he's the one who's coming back again soon to put all things right. Through him, death will die. Sin will be removed. Sorrow will dissolve. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And the world to come will be a perfect realm of peace under the Prince of Peace. Our job this week is to fall on our knees and to worship. Behold the King of Kings. Behold the long-awaited Messiah.